So welcome back to everyone. Can you hear me okay? Very good. So uh, a few uh, questions. We have a short Q&A uh, period now, just a quarter of an hour. So I'll respond to these uh, initial questions um, first of all. Uh, <clears throat> first one is, uh, what is the difference between Sampajanya, clear comprehension, and Yoniso Manasikara? Uh, Wise reflection. Please, can you give an example how the two can be put into practice? Um, well, I, they're, they're slightly related. I think um, uh, Sampajanya, uh, mindfulness and full awareness, or mindfulness and uh, clear comprehension, that intuitive, uh, intuitive awareness, that is a um, uh, more of a receptive quality. And um, so attuning to um, the situation and what, what one is experiencing and um, considering the, um, where things have come from, what they're likely to turn into, what are the um, different uh, elements that are involved in any situation. And then Yoni So Manasikara, wise reflection, is uh, to an extent it's using the, the thinking faculty and particularly sort of memory and intelligence to sort of spell out or to explore in detail um, you know, the, those sort of details of what's being, being perceived or being known. So I say they're very closely related. Um, and uh, in a way, Sati Sampajanya is, so like if you are playing in an orchestra, it's that quality of attuning to the instruments around you, the, the sheet music in front of you, uh, having an eye on the conductor, um, and then uh, uh, Yoniso Manasikara would be uh, that, uh, along with that, there'll be the element of um, that sense of, uh, of uh, say, uh, the, uh, the conductors making, a, making everything very mellow today, or, or that um, uh, the, the violin next to me is slightly out of tune. Uh, I need to uh, ignore that and pay attention to the, um, the 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 music and what my violin is doing, so that uh, I'm I'm staying in tune, even though that person next to me is is uh, is off uh, off key. So it's a uh, I would say that the Yoniso Manasikara is a, a slightly sort of a narrower and also maybe um, using the conceptual thought to a degree. No, it's not. Are totally dependent upon conceptual thought, and that was something I was talking about yesterday. But it, in a, a lot of it's to do with spelling out and using the intellectual conceptual faculties to to describe and name and uh, and to say clarify what's a, a good way of working with the the present situation. So the uh, the next one is I found the simile of the bonfire very helpful. Please, could you tell me what sutta it is from? Many thanks for your teaching. Uh, I will have to look that up. I haven't memorized the, um, the, the exact uh, number. I, I suspect it's in the um, connected discourses about the seven factors of enlightenment, but I will, uh, I will look that up uh, when you have your, your time for lunch. Uh, Ajahn Amaro, do you think in everyday life we experience the, the deathless realm? Could it be said to be when things cease to arise? or give us a taste of the boundless, that this is what is meant by the deathless realm. 
Well, Amravati mean, literally means the deathless realm. <laughs> so geographically, this is where, where I live. Uh, that's literally the meaning of uh, uh, my name. Uh, Amara uh, means deathless. Um, it's, uh, I would say that it's, it's not so much when a, um, uh, things cease to arise or that uh, something has, uh, say, that the, the, a thought is not arising or an emotion is not arising. Uh, the, the deathless, uh, it's uh, attuning to that already present timeless quality, uh, that dimension of, of being, what the Buddha also called the unborn, the unoriginated, the uncreated, the unformed, that is present even as conditions are arising and passing away, that the timeless reality of, of Dhamma is not occluded, it's not hidden or masked or, or interrupted in any way. Um, by the presence of words or visual images or, or thoughts even. So that the, the deathless realm, the, uh, the Amaka Dhamma or the Amaravati, it's, uh, it's ever present, but we don't notice it because our attention is drawn by the death bound, by the words that begin and end or the, the feelings of happiness or unhappiness, the thoughts and opinions and, and memories that, that arise. But it's, a, it's like a T.S. Eliot put it in the, in the dry salvages of um, the, the four quartets. Uh, <clears throat> uh, men's curiosity searches past and future and clings to that dimension. But to apprehend the point of intersection of the timeless with time is an occupation for the saint. No occupation either, but a lifetime's death in love, ardor, selflessness, and self-surrender. So the key piece of that, I would say, is attending to the point of intersection of the timeless with time. So the timeless is ever present. We don't have to have a, a sort of a gap in, in conditions arising and passing in order for it to be known. Even in the midst of an array of conditions, it's still uh, present. It's the, it, it's, the, it's the here and now Dhamma, the here and now reality. So it's a question of, of guiding the attention to notice that timeless quality, as, as T.S. Eliot put it, attending to the point of intersection of the timeless with time. So it's loosening the obsession with the, the, uh, the time bound, with thoughts and feelings, perceptions, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, loosening the fixation upon the sensory field to, uh, to know that uh, timeless quality that, that underlies it, that, that permeates it, that's ever present. Um, and so that, that uh, in a way, that uh, the quality of awareness is the, the link, the bridge between the world of time and timelessness. So that awareness, uh, those of you who've listened to uh, Lumpur Sumato's Dhamma teachings, particularly in recent times, he will say over and over again how you know, awareness is ever-present. Consciousness, as he describes it, is, is ever-present. And that things come and go, perceptions come and go within that, but that quality of knowing is, is ever present. So that that, um, uh, so that, that ever, that present awareness, that's the link between the, the, um, the world of, of birth and death, things that begin and end, sankharas taking shape and dissolving, but that which knows them, that which is aware of them, uh, is ever present. It's always here, it's always now. And so that, um, that in a way that, that quality of awareness, this, that's where the, 
the world ends or the substantiality of the world ends, whether the deathless is realized, the unborn, the undying is realized through training the heart to embody that quality of awakened awareness. Okay, next one. Uh, Ajahn, I read about this, but I, I totally don't understand. Can you please explain? Our uh, one conscious state ceases and quite another arises, i.e. the conscious states at the arising and ceasing of material phenomena are indeed one is the word explanation. Huh? Another is the explanation uh, of the sense. While the conscious state arisen earlier in ceasing, it ceases in just the form of proximity condition and so forth to another conscious state arising after it. Then another conscious state which has just obtained a condition arises. And here mind is a different state. And here mind is in a different state by reason of the difference of occasion. I really not quite sure what that is saying. Um, yeah, it, it, uh, you can define consciousness as being sense consciousness, like the activity of the, the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, and the, the, the thinking mind. So that's vijnana is usually meaning discriminative consciousness, that faculty of knowing which dis distinguishes one thing from another. But that the quality, well, you can also use the word consciousness um, to refer to that quality of awareness that knows, that, that quality of knowing, which is not divisive, which is uh, aware of those divisions, but it is not divided in itself, just as, as like the, the, the ears can hear a variety of sounds, but the ear and the, the function of hearing is, is, maintains itself and is, is separate from the objects of hearing. So that awareness is, uh, is uh, that knows that liberated awareness, which we can call vijja, um, as the, as that awakened awareness or or jnana, knowledge, knowing um, that uh, is not so divisive or, or divided. So uh, I, I'm really not quite sure what the question is. Um, that it's not very clear, but uh, I think it, understanding that the words consciousness and awareness can be used in different ways. Generally, the word consciousness means uh, discriminative consciousness, um, uh, the, the, noticing the contrast between one thing and another, um, and awareness is that quality of knowing that's aware of those divisions, uh, and also can be aware of the undivided, can be aware of Nibbana and the unconditioned as well. Okay. How do you define the heading under the threefold path of right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration? So those three are in the samadhi section. So um, for people who are not familiar with this, so sometimes the eightfold path is divided into, um, so grouped into three chunks. So that those are the, uh, the first two, which are right view and right resolution or right intention. Samaditi and Samasankapo, they are the wisdom factors. Um, then you have the sila factors or the virtue factors of right speech, uh, right action, right livelihood. Those are the next three. And then the last three are the samadhi factors or the, the concentration or meditation factors. Um, uh, so they are right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. 
So they are in the samadhi chunk when you divide, when you group the eightfold path into three. So um, I hope that clarifies that. Uh, there has been distressing news from Central Asia and stories of huge injustices. My mind and heart area can seem to hold on to this, even though I as an individual cannot affect anything around this political situation. You mentioned yesterday the challenges of the inflation of self-view. Is this connected to one's own dis-ease? How can I skillfully apply uh, right effort and the Eightfold Path to this and a skillful response to the news. Uh, the, um, yeah, one of the aspects of, um, uh, of, the, of this is the way that we relate to compassion. So the English word, and I realize English is not the first language of everybody gathered here today, but uh, the, the English word compassion comes from the, the, the Latin. And, and it literally means compassio. Passio is to suffer. So compassion is to suffer with. So the English uh, uh, word compassion um, is, uh, uh, say, alluding to or, or hinting or, or say, uh, formed around the idea of, of another being is suffering, you are suffering with them. But the Buddhist quality of compassion, karuna or anukampa, is, is not a state of suffering. So the Buddha had great compassion, uh, Maha Karuniko. He was uh, greatly compassionate, but he didn't suffer on account of the suffering of others, which is not hard-heartedness. It's an attunement, an appreciation of the suffering of others. But, but Karuna uh, in, in Buddhist psychology is a great brightness. It's a spacious quality. It's one of the Brahma Viharas, one of the divine abidings. So it's related to attuning to the suffering of others, but it's not... Uh, uh, say, identifying with or attaching to or entangled with that. So it's perhaps a, difficult to get uh, a feeling for that because sometimes we can, we, can say, we can have the idea that, well, if I really cared, then I would be suffering as well. If I'm not suffering, if I'm not distressed, then I don't really care. Or like uh, in, when I lived in America, I was there, I lived there for 15 years or so. Um, they would have these uh, people would say things like, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. You know, if you care, you're getting upset, you're getting angry. And, uh, you know, I can understand where that comes from. But in terms of, of Buddhist practice and also what helps us to most skillfully uh, act to, to help situations is develop, I would say, is developing the quality of karuna, which is an attunement, an appreciation, an empathizing with the suffering of others, but not, uh, not say, getting entangled or identifying with it. Uh, as a teenager, I, I suffered over this a lot, you know, that um, I was a very tearful child and you know, into, into my teens as well, a little less so, but as a young child, I was very, very tearful because if, if somebody or something was suffering, I took it as my personal responsibility. If I couldn't end the suffering of that animal or that person, then it was my fault. That's how I took it. So I suffered a lot. Um, and this was a, one of the big sort of spiritual puzzles for me growing up. Um, and when I came across Buddha Dhamma, it was a, quite a revelation. Um, and I remember when I was an, a novice monk in Thailand having a conversation with someone, but it really, I really got a sense of how different it was where 
this fellow said, um, yeah, uh, uh, I care about others and I do what I can for them, but what I can't do, I don't create suffering about. You know, I, I know that if I could do more, I would do more, but I can't do more, so why create more suffering in myself? Then you got two suffering beings instead of just one. And he, was, he wasn't sort of trying to find fault with me or make fun of me, it was just, just spelling out how he saw it. And I thought, wow, that thought has never crossed my mind. I've never conceived that. That's, that's extraordinary. And he said, I know I care. I trust that I care. I know I care. There's no doubt about that. But I also know that there's a limit to my capacity. And I know I, if I could do more, I would do more. But I can't do more at this moment. So why create suffering about something that I can't do? So that was, <laughs> to me, I think it took me several weeks to really digest that, or months even. But that, I feel that, that encapsulates that, that, uh, that sense that, you know you care, you trust that you care, but you're also aware of the limits of your capacity. So again, it talks a it's a little bit about the balancing of, of faith and wisdom, sada and panya, that uh, you, you, you have confidence, you trust, you know that, that uh, you, you want to help you and you can help to a degree, but you can't do everything. You can lift a, a 50 pound rock, but you can't lift a 150 pound rock. That's, that's the limit of your capacity at this time. So I'll leave it there for now. We've just gone past uh, 12.30. Um, so uh, please do go and uh, have some lunch. <laughs>